Thank you for downloading this episode of the Football Purist Podcast. Please help by subscribing and check out footballpurist.com. Reds give us the full spectrum of emotions once again, hosting Spurs at Anfield from the many highs of Mohamed Salah, Loris Karius putting in his best shift in a Liverpool shirt, to the lows, of course, of Lovren, Jonathan Moss, his side judge, and that 2-2 shit burgers, I think a lot of us would say. Welcome back to another edition of the Talk On Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hallett, filling in for Joey. He's getting his hair done. And I'm joined by a couple men. Uh, first, the effervescent, bonus word, Brian Painter. How are you, BP? I'm doing well, Jeff. Doing well. Good to be back. It's been a little while, but uh, I'm happy to be on tonight, um, even though a less than favorable result and a lot of controversy surrounding uh, the game at the weekend. That's true. No shortage of that. And uh, FSG's biggest backer, co-host of the Canary and Blue Pod, the mighty Jimmy Torreone. <laughs> What's up, my guy? Hey, Brendan Rogers, come back. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, <laughs> let's get Jeff started that way. I think he's busy doing a master class. <laughs> That's a great video, by the way. I love that video. Or get his teeth whitened, one of the two things. <laughs> Oatzil. Oatzil. <laughs> So anyway, we'll be doing our usual, getting into the match, say from the top of the cob, what do we think, where I was fortunate to sit for this one. See how I dropped that one in. You have to share some of the, some of the live experience from, uh, from Anfield. You were sitting in the cop and everything. Yes, I was. It was something I'll never forget. I mean, of course, you'd want a different result at the end of it, but it was bo- boisterous singing, which I hadn't experienced the other time I was there. It was on the Anfield Rodan. It was incredible. So back to the agenda. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> going <Good job> track. <laughs> so from the top to the pitch, individual performances, of course, will provide our seed index ratings, which everybody loves. And then we'll look at the rest of the schedule, try to handicap our chances of hitting top four again, hopefully top three if things work out. Chelsea continue its spin downward, for instance. And then we'll f- finish out with a preview of our farm team, Southampton, at the weekend. But before we do any of that, how about we get into our intro question? Mine usually becomes intro joke, so here we go. Moss, as we know, leads the Premier League in mistakes. So if you could both give me your biggest fuck up, and it doesn't have to be world football, it could be anything. Painter, why don't we start with you? <clears throat> the easy answer to this in... Uh... And not to get political on our show or anything like that, but the easy answer has to be our, our illustrious leader uh, over here in the States is Donald Trump as the biggest fuck up in the world. Um, he continues to uh, just mind-numbingly make mistake after mistake and call out uh, ethnicities and, and uh, different countries as shit houses. I mean, it's just, a, it's, it's a nonstop comedy over here. He's got to win the war for the biggest fuck up uh, that's going right now. Yep. So Donald Trump for me, buddy. Yep, right on the nose. <laughs> Very good. So Jimmy, do you have one that's different? 
Yeah, it's going to be hard to trump that one, but uh, hey, it's hey, but I'm bummed <laughs> All right, And that's it, folks. I'm done. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> pot over. Pot over. Well, I was going to say uh, Warren Betty with the uh, total mistake at the Oscars last year, uh, announcing La La Land as the winner and when in reality it was Moonlight. But then Jeff told us that he had a video that he hadn't shared with us. So, Jeff, you're the biggest fuck up. Thanks, man. Thank Appreciate you. That. <laughs> Very clean. So mine, how could you steer away from Griezmann doing blackface for Halloween? I mean, that's <laughs> right at the list. I mean, he's such quality on the pitch, but wow, <laughs> that outfit. Yeah. yeah, and not bracial or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course not. <laughs> Respect. That's what the Europa thing says, right? So <laughs> why don't we get into the match, boys, uh, without any further ado? That was fun. But, you know, the penalty. It's top of mind for everyone, and there's been widespread opinion from the refs defending themselves to Klopp not so happy, but couldn't share anything in the presser. Where, I mean, of course, Liverpool fans come down as that was utter nonsense, but Painter, where are you on it? There's so much to unpack, and I mean, there's so many poor decisions on the night. I, I, I think the the decisions of the referee all night were, were shocking. Uh, he was given penalties when they weren't penalties in the first half he was he was just really poor on the night like I don't know how else to say it and the fact that and the fact that he made two critical calls in the last eight minutes of the game without having a hundred percent certainty of what happened and to make those decisions that changed the course of the game I just I I, I just would like to see more consistency out of the, the refereeing, especially at this level, right? I mean, it's not like we're playing on Sunday league and it's some guy that's, you know, doing it for spare money on, you know, reffing the game for spare money on the weekends, right? Um, it's, it, you know, this guy's a, a professional that gets massive amounts of money to to referee these games in the in, at the highest level. And it just it just was mind numbing that they he was making these decisions on on not knowing if it actually happened or not. Um, my take on it is is like listen, you're going to get these calls during the course of a season. You're not going to get these calls during the course of the season. At the end of the day, I think it basically washes out. This one stung a little bit more because of what Sala did in the 93rd minute to give us the lead. Um, I mean, he took on five Spurs defenders that. You have to say Spurs on the season and over the last couple seasons are one of the top Premier League teams. They finished second. They finished third. Uh, this season they've beaten uh, Dortmund. Uh, they've beaten Madrid. They finished at the top of their group in the Champions League. Uh, you know, and Sala basically abused five defenders on that goal. And then they turn around and a minute later give, an, a, give a penalty that you know, arguably was waved off by uh, the referee and then the linesman gives the penalty. And then the linesman looks like he celebrates after the goddamn uh, award of the penalty, which yeah. even infuriated me even more. So yep. I'm not happy about it. But at the end of the day, I you know, when we look at it in its totality over the course of the season, we're going to get some of those calls and we're not going to get some of those calls. And, you know, on Sunday, we didn't get some of those calls. Yep. And, and felt on the night particularly tough. But Jimmy, we saw the effect of replay used in the FA Cup, which we're no longer in. And that was helpful for maybe a minute during West Brom. <laughs> how, how much is it missing in the Premier League now? 
huge. It's huge. And you know what, Brian, you're asking for consistency. Jonathan Moss not having refereed a Liverpool match since the Manchester City uh, when he gave a red card to Mane, whether we believe that's a red card or not. I think you're getting pretty consistent non-calls for Liverpool for Moss. So I don't know what you're complaining about. Um, <laughs> the solid but, yes. stuff, man. That's great analysis right there. That's why we watch on this pod, man. <laughs> it's like every once in the blue moon, I'll come up. Here's a random fact. I'm done. Thanks. I got nothing else to contribute. <laughs> he was studying um, all day for that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> exactly. But yes, I I think that was one of the things that I mentioned uh, initial reaction right after the match without really having um, paid too much attention to the rest of, of the details was VAR could have really come in handy here. Whether it would have gone Liverpool's way or not, I still think that having VAR there would have been... It would have protected the refs a little bit. It would it would help guide them in the system. But at the same time, I do think that it's showing that it will help the game in the long run, even though Ali thinks it will slow the game down way too much and he has absolutely no wishes for it to be impl- uh, implemented into the game but jimmy on that po- on that point though right it took them a couple minutes on both of those decisions to make the call they could easily just went over in that same space of time and looked at var and made the call you know what i'm saying I, like it wasn't, it wasn't like they made those decisions quickly i completely agree that's why i'm in favor for var even if even if it were to, let's say, slow the game down, I really don't think, based off an example of, that you just pointed out, Brian, in this past match, debates, whether they're between the, the ref and his linesman, can still take a long time. Might as well just have a video review. At least that way, we can say they at least looked at the video review and, and we're not going to be having these uh, debates that we're having right now without them having looked at the video, right? Yeah, agreed 100%. I... I... I, I, you know, and there's ways to do this quickly and it's going to take time for the, for the technology to mature, uh, just like it did in other sports that use, you know, review systems, uh, you know, like in college football, they review every play inside of 30 seconds and see whether it's a, they would need to take a deeper look at it or not. So I think <clears throat> as long as you can keep it to goal scoring chances or opportunities and, you know, game changing decisions like red cards, I think, you know, those types of decisions are always going to carry a, a period of time that is going to make VR, VAR doable in those circumstances. I don't want to see it for everything, but those game-changing circumstances, absolutely. Yeah, so we could probably talk about video replay all day long. <laughs> it needs to come soon. I'm, I'm with you both. Uh, why don't we kind of get into how Klopp set up? Like, what did you think of his starting 11? Why don't we start with you, Jimmy? I thought the starting 11, he put out a strong team, right? And I think removing all bias from my system, I think there was a, a there was a fair result at the end, shared a point of peace, and I will go into that later. But I, I think I think Klopp set up wonderfully for this type of match. This was uh, Spurs who were always going to play against Liverpool rather than sit back and try to absorb and deny any type of creativity. They it was it was a very fantastic game to watch, especially for the neutral. It was very exciting at all types of, of levels, as you understood being there live, right, Jeff? Yes, right, with or without recordings. And yeah, but Jeff was the neutral. <laughs> <laughs> far from, far from. It, it paints it, the energy in yeah. the first half. I mean, it seemed like Liverpool put in a strong shift, lots of intensity, got the early goal. Yeah. What happened in the second half? Well. 
I, I mean, I said this at halftime uh, when we were at the Irish American. I basically said, listen, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up this intensity pressing uh, for a full 90 minutes. And you knew Spurs were going to come out of the dressing room fired up because Pochettino probably got in there and said, Liverpool are absolutely making a show of you in the first half. I mean, their defense in the first half were, were scared shitless every time they got the ball. Yeah. Um, Davidson Sanchez, uh, Vertonghen, like they just did not want the ball because they knew uh, Firmino and Mane and Salah were coming to clip it off them. So um, you knew they were going to have a reaction. They're a good side, uh, and you, they were going to come out firing in the second half. The issue that I – took with way Klopp set up uh, was I was surprised Jeannie Wijnaldum wasn't in this match in some form or fashion. And he has been absolutely outstanding for us in big games at home. Yep. And it just didn't make sense to me why he didn't get the start. Now I wasn't disappointed to see John Milner and, and Hendo in, in the midfield. I was just surprised because of the track record that Jeannie has in those big games, uh, why he didn't start. And then obviously You've got uh, Trent on the wing, who had an excellent game. I thought for uh, for large portions of the match, he was he was playing at a very high level. Uh, with Gomez, obviously not uh, not making the the eighteen for this match. Um, I, I was pleased with the with the lineup as a whole. I thought you know Lovren and in Matip or not Lovren Matip Lovren and uh, Virgil played well together. Uh, I thought they were a nice balance between the two. Obviously the still has a mistake in them, but um, we know that. Um, I thought they played well for large parts of the game, but all in all, I thought it was exactly the lineup or, you know, maybe one change with Jeannie coming in that I would have started. Yep. Jimmy, do you have any differing opinion on who, who would you rather have in the midfield or, you know, one thing that has become ever present, we'll probably get into this in the individual performances, but Klopp, is once again tinkering with that back line and there isn't consistency match to match. You know, the rotation has probably been hit the hardest there. Like any thoughts? It's exactly what everyone in the Slack group wanted though. They did not want to see matchup. They wanted to see Virgil van Dijk play alongside Lovren for some unbeknownst reason to me. So we got it. And I mean, Lovren, I'm going to go into it later, but Lovren just keeps on having mistakes every once in a while that cost big points. Again, it was against Spurs here, and I, I was not at all surprised to see that he had a fuck-up. Yep. So I'm not happy with, with him playing. I'm not sure if I was too happy with Milner playing either. He does not have the pace to keep up with Spurs, especially on the wings whatsoever. Yep. So I know he had a couple of good plays, but I, I don't understand why Milner's there in the first place. I'm with you, Brian. Yeah, I, I, just to just to echo on that. I mean, in fairness, I thought Lovren had a really good game up until he whiffed on that clearance for Kane's penalty slash um, offside slash whatever. Um, <laughs> but he played really well up until that uh, up until that uh, error. But again, I think in fairness, you know, those errors get magnified when they create chances and goals, right? It's okay to have that error out at midfield if it doesn't lead to a goal or a scoring chance. It's really becomes obvious uh, when it falls to Kane, you know, 12 yards from goal and he takes it around our goalie and our goalie takes him down for penalty. So again, he has a big miss in him and I'm not sure, I didn't watch it back 
And I'm not sure if the ball skipped on him or what happened, uh, why he didn't make contact on that clearance. But, but man, he just loves to have a massive fuck up every once in a while. Every game, as it seems. So, all right. I mean, we're already here, really, the individual performances. So, I mean, Painter, you're on the Lovren track, and we all know what happened with him or didn't happen, as it were. How did you evaluate the entire back line? Like, who were your winners and losers? Well, I thought thought our back line actually played well for the majority of the game. Other other than, uh, you know, Lovren's mistake – I thought they were exceptional on the night. I thought Robertson, you know, played well. I, I mentioned Trent earlier. He was he was really doing well. Uh, put in some great crosses, uh, created a bunch of chances uh, with Stout in defense. Virgil was commanding in the air. Uh, he got on the end of a couple set pieces. You know, um, you know, made Larice make a couple saves. He was strong in defense. Uh, you know, we can debate the penalty with Lamella, uh, which I'm sure will you know, spend some time talking about and, you know, Lovren, like I said, played well for large portions of the night, except for that one, one gaff. I mean, let's be honest, nobody's stopping when Yama's shot. Uh, I don't care if you're, you know, David DeHay, you're not getting to that shot. That was an absolute screamer goal of the season candidate. And you got to give him, you know, credit where credit's due. That was amazing. Uh, what you can give fault to is the fact that our midfield let him get goal side when they were sitting there. It didn't seem like they were attacking the ball uh, very, very well and just let Wanyama run onto it. So um, I thought Carries did the right thing by punching the ball. Um, he cleared it 25 yards out from the goal, which again, we've been screaming out for somebody to come out and be commanding in the box. He comes out and clears it 25 yards out. And then the, the midfield doesn't, you know, doesn't put pressure on, you know, when Yama running on. So, but all in all, I thought the defense played well. I thought Carries had his best game. He made some big stops. He made a one-on-one save against Kane that I thought was exceptional, came out, was big. Uh, you you, you got to be pleased with how we defended. Uh, and if it weren't for, you know, a dodgy penalty call, you know, we're walking away with three points. And, you know, the when Yama goal is going to happen – you know, from time to time, there's just nothing you can do about it. It's, it's undefensible. Yep. And what a big shout with Karius. I mean, I opened the pod with best performance in a Liverpool shirt, and I meant it. I mean, he looked the best that he's looked for me. And shows that a run of games can really do something for someone's confidence. And I, I think that performance, regardless of the outcome being a draw, will only propel him through the rest of the season. We need, need a keeper with confidence and Klopp's given him the appropriate incentive to win the starting job, to not have to go and find another keeper in, in the summer. So I thought it was job done that way. Why don't we shift over to the midfield and the attack? Uh, fun place for us to be, of course. Jimmy, what did you think of the midfield? I know we've talked about it already a little bit, but uh, the creativity of... Chan, Milner, uh, <laughs> left a lot to be desired. And of course, Hendo, my, my favorite defending mid. I think Hendo, I think he was actually doing all right. Nothing spectacular. He's coming off injury. He's getting into game fitness. 
He had a couple of balls that uh, were positive, but yes, of course, he's going to do a lot of back and forth, side to side, as you very well know. Jean didn't have the same performance that he had in the past match. Is it possible? I, I think in the last match, if I remember correctly, guys, Jean was actually moving up. He was a little bit more advanced. If Ali were here, he'd probably be yelling at me right now that I'm wrong, but probably not. And I saw that Milner and Henderson were kind of taking turns with sitting back to allow Jean to kind of go forward a little bit sometimes. But there's, there's, I'm not really a big fan of Henderson and Jean in the midfield. And you add Milner to that, as I've already mentioned. I just don't think there's much creativity there at all. There's not enough pace anymore. Poor Henderson can no longer run the way he used to because of all of his injuries. Jean was never a pacey player. Um, and he needs way too much time to actually create something. The front three are the ones who ended up carrying the load, honestly. Uh, as, as we very well know, we're going to get into Salah. Mane is still trying to find his groove. Uh, but I think we just need to be patient with him. And Firmino has been as excellent as he's always been. Yeah, he definitely put in a shift doing all of his hard work off the ball, uh, drawing defenders as usually does. And Salah, we're now getting comparisons between his performance and Leo Messi from Carragher, which is crazy. Uh, just puts all the more pressure on the club to hold on to him because the better he performs, the more Spain comes to call in. Painter, what do you think Liverpool need to do to hold on to him? <clears throat> well, I, I mean, listen, he's his performance against Spurs was Messi-esque, and I, and I couldn't agree more with that statement. I mean, that that move he did in the ninety-third minute, which I touched on earlier, was, I mean, I, very rarely do you see anybody other than Lionel Messi beat five players and then chip the goalie from three yards out, like. That just doesn't happen to many players other than Lionel Messi. Um, what do we need to do to hold on to him? I, I think we're doing all the right things. He just signed a contract. I think it was a three- or four-year deal uh, with us. I, I think what you do is you give him a bumper deal uh, here at the end of the season, uh, tie him up until you know he's 25 now. You tie him up and, until – you know, 29, 30. Uh, so give him a four or five year or year or two extension, give him a big bumper deal and make him the highest paid player at the club. Uh, he's on, uh, he scored 21 goals and 25 premier league, uh, appearances, which is a record. He's the fastest Liverpool player ever to do that. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's what you got to do and you got to give him uh, the the just desserts that he de- that he deserves and and give him the contract and the money that uh, is going to make him feel loved. Uh, the fans and the supporters uh, are showing him the love. That new song of his, uh, the Sala song, is absolutely outstanding. It's fantastic. I'm sure you guys were singing it uh, in chorus at uh, at Anfield on on Sunday, Jeff. But That's for uh, sure. uh, I I I just think you have to do what's right and give him. And and to the same uh, similar extent, give Firmino, uh, you know, contract extensions as well as bumper deals because I think those two players are what you build this team around for the next you know three to four years. Yeah, well, and I would add respectfully, gotta win trophies because Coutinho. Looking at the talent drain out of the club, you see Suarez, Bale, Coutinho, Bale, and I know there's a natural pull to Spain, of course, for the Latin players, but without trophies. And certainly without, and we're going to get into this, Champions League qualification becomes tough for them to stay. I mean, the elite players want to play with other elite players. 
and they want to pull down the hardware and <laughs> we're still staring at a Mickey Mouse Cup from 2011 League Cup, right? So I think without question Liverpool's got to, you know, press the gas with pulling home some success, like some real success they can hang a hat on and players can feel good about. And, you know, in addition to that, <laughs> along with that success, you got to qualify. Um why don't we move into our seat index? So uh, real quick, for those that haven't, the uninitiated, it's what got you out of your seat, your positive score for you know what performance, what part of the game, the match uh, just made you jump up and down. And similarly, your negative for what got you hunkering down in your seat, maybe hanging your head a little bit. Why don't we start with you, Jimmy? Well, I mean, you got to talk about the goals. I could talk about both goals. Even though I'm a Liverpool supporter, I'm going to be absolutely jumping out of my seat, maybe in frustration. But at that goal that Wanyama had, oh. I, that was incredible. But because I don't want to take away Salah's goal, because I want Brian to have that one. Um, <laughs> You're so <laughs> my sit down. Uh, my sit down for the seat index is definitely having to listen to everyone on the Slack channel complain about the penalty that was. Mm. Uh, I'm okay. Enter controversy. <laughs> Continue on, Jimmy, because uh, I'll, I'll address that in uh, my seat index. Okay. It's a penalty because of the letter of the law, which I definitely agree has to be changed, but because of the letter of the law that Lovren went ahead and he intentionally tried to swipe at the ball, which he missed, which he's seen so many times. He touched the ball, which played Kane onside. That's why it's a pen, because Carrius himself said that he actually touched him. Now, at first, I thought that the the Virgil van Dijk one was not a penalty. I thought that he did everything he could to uh, retract his leg from that kick, very similar to a baseball player when he checks his swing. But then looking at different angles, you see that he does get um, Lamella, who, of course, is going to make the most out of it. He's an Argentinian, for God's sake. What do you expect? But <laughs> go ahead. He takes like a dive. Brazilian. And, and you know what? He's going to take it. And if this was Firmino, if this was Salah, if this was Mane, if this was Suarez, to get, getting that type of uh, position inside the six-yard box, I'm going to want to pen there. So I'm not going to take that away from him. He just was that. That's playing gamemanship for me. Ooh, yeah. And it, <laughs> different than different than the U.S. You've got the bigger issue of you know in college football, for instance, they don't call those kind of crazy penalties at the you know lineup final few minutes of the game, seconds of the game, and. Obviously, we do that in England, and particularly Jonathan Moss does. Painter, okay, we got yours, Jimmy. Got the controversy on the table. Where do you come down with the seed index? Well, my to, to, to follow on to Jimmy's statements on the penalties, my negative seed index has to be John Moss's uh, uh, officiating of you know of the match. I mean, the simple fact that you don't know and that you wave off a penalty and then your linesman overrules you is again so wrong on so many levels like jimmy i'm not disputing whether you know it's a penalty or he makes a meal of it or whatever the case may be that happens all the time what i'm saying is, is that the initial call on the lamella foul was that moss said it's no penalty the linesman waves his flag and then gets the linesman overrules him, who actually didn't have a better better view of it. And on top of that, the linesman missed the fucking offsides that 
Lamella was offsides on. So, I mean, on top of it, they, they whether it's a penalty or not, it should have never even got to that point because Lamella was offside on on the header uh, flick on to him. So, like that that type of shit, like that changes seasons and changes games. You know, you've got to you've got to have some sort of consistency there. And I just thought the refereeing as a whole was my negative seed index because it turned out it turned what was an exceptional game of football between two high quality sides into a controversy that didn't need to be. And that was my disappointment on the day. Um, You had two worldy goals from uh, Wanyama and Salah and and then you ruin it with just basic fuck up one one I mean, I just, I'm, I'm still bent out of shape about it. So um, I just thought it was a great game between two quality sides and that my negative seed index had to be the fact that they put a subpar officiate official in charge of this game. And he proved to, you know, ruin the game for most of uh, the supporters, uh, you know, from Liverpool, obviously the Spurs fans are excited about it. My positive seed index, um, you know, we could talk about the solid goal, which I'm not going to do because it's it's in the stratosphere because I thought it was absolutely exquisite. Um, but I'm going to talk about Klopp's record against the, the top six. Um, he continues to have a stellar record against our quote-unquote rivals in the top six. I think he's lost twice uh in i want to say 23 matches and maybe more than that now but uh, which yeah which i think is just exceptional um he always has his team ready to play these big matches now you could argue spurs and and city from earlier this year we got we got smoked but for the most part he has an exceptional record the best record of any of the top six sides in the same time frame uh, in terms of winning and, and getting points off of uh, the, their closest rivals. So I'm going to say Klopp in terms of uh, his performance uh, and his record against the top six. Yeah, that is uh, without question right on point. So I'll go with mine really quick. Carius for me because we've been screaming for consistency at the keeper position and one of these two jokers to step up and take the first team role, take the starting role. And it appears Klopp's motivation and consistency is paying off with Karius, and long may it continue, and certainly through this run of games, which we're going to talk about in a second, huge, huge for the team. And my negative, it was the midfield. Uh, I didn't think we, like, I would have much preferred to see Ox in the midfield, Genie, to your point, Painter, and, and I think Jimmy at a certain point as well. I mean, our pal Dave Hendrick talked about the midfield as, you know, has all the creativity of a ham sandwich. And he's right. Uh, I thought Henderson was probably <laughs> probably not a good fit against that that pace of attack from Pochettino. So that, that was my, my clear negative. So real quick, why don't we go into the remaining schedule? So Liverpool have 12 games remaining in the, the season, the Premier League. And to achieve just parity from last year, we need to finish top four. It's clear, but have a few competitors standing in our way. We got United. We've got a number of different matches, especially versus the Dross that should concern your typical Liverpool fan, especially coming away from the weekend with Spurs. Painter, uh, what do you think 
our magic number is. I know you've been looking into this and doing your, your yeah. usual statistics. Uh, what do you think our magic number is and how hard do you think it is going to be for the club to hit? Well, I, I haven't done what I did last year when I was basically counting down all the variables and possibilities and maybe I'll put something out on this uh, later this week. But if you look at our remaining games, there's 12 remaining games. We start off this run with Southampton at the weekend, followed by West Ham, Newcastle, United, Watford, Palace, Everton, Bournemouth, West Brom, Stoke, Chelsea, and then to finish the season, we have Brighton. So there's a possible 36 points left to be had. We're sitting on 51, if I'm not mistaken. And realistically, Champions League qualification level is in that 76, 77 range. Um, so we're going to need about 25 to 26 points over the next 12 games, which is roughly about 2.1 to 2.2 points per game, which um, we're just under that for uh, the, the first 25 or 26 games of the season. We're on 51 on 26, which is just under two points a game. Yep. So <clears throat> my, my take on it is we're going to need 26 points to guarantee top four finish. Um, I do think this is going to be a lower points total though, for the top four than in most years. Uh, I think city obviously is, you know, done and dusted and free and clear. Um, I do think third and fourth place are going to, you know, are going to be, I think third place is going to be in that 76, 77 range. And I think fourth place will be in that 74 range. And I just look at historically, or I just look at where the teams are like Arsenal's, um, Arsenal's six points behind us now, I believe. And then, uh, Spurs are two points behind us. So they're sitting on 49 and, uh, 46 respectively, if I'm not uh, mistaken, but, you know, it's going to take the, them a significant run of form to get to the 76 mark. So I think if we can get, you know, 25 points over the next 30, uh, 12 matches, I think that will see us through the Champions League. Now, if we want to push higher to third to second, I think we're going to need to see more like 30 points over the next um 12 matches in order to get, uh, you know, a second place finish. Uh, and we're going to need some help from uh, United. Obviously we have a big match on March uh, 10th against Man United, uh, which again could be a six pointer for us. But again, I think if you look at the matches uh, we have the, one of the easier run ins uh, quote unquote uh, with only United and Chelsea left in the top six uh, that we still have to play and Spurs, have Arsenal this weekend, uh, which will be an interesting game. Obviously, we're hoping for a tie, uh, although I wouldn't mind a Spurs loss either. Uh, <laughs> that would work as well, <laughs> uh, provided that we beat Southampton. But if we can open up, if we can open up a five-six point gap <clears throat> on both Spurs and uh, Arsenal with eleven to play, that's that's a pretty daunting task to overcome. Uh, provided that we, uh, you know, we put the points on the board, but that's my analysis of what's left to come. And I think, you know, from my perspective, I think we have the opportunity to to put a significant run together because again, like I said, 
most of these matches should be, you know, winnable, if not favorites in pretty much everything except for maybe United. And I think, you know, and I think the United game is a derby, which you can never tell. But <clears throat> I think 25 points, though, sees us through the Champions League. Yep. I, I just did some basic back of the napkin sort of math. And to hit 25, we would basically have to win seven of the remaining games and draw four, which we're really good at doing. And that includes one loss. So not, I mean, that seems pretty realistic for Liverpool. We'd be overachieving. And you saw how Klopp focused the team at the end of last year to qualify for Champions League. So I expect to see a lot of that focus this year as well. But I, yeah, the only, the only thing I'd add to that, Jeff, is that we've got Porto. Um, you know, and if we get by Porto, which is a very winnable tie, true. You know, we'll, we're going to be in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and it'll be interesting to see how Klopp prioritizes the league versus the Champions League. Because I'll give you a perfect example: we have Porto after Southampton on Wednesday. Uh, on next Wednesday. Then we have the second leg of that tie at home at Anfield uh, right before the Manchester United game, four days before the Manchester United game. So obviously we're going to have to probably win that Porto game or at least get a result. Uh, so he's going to put out a full strength side. And then four days later we play United. So it'll be and, and obviously United have the same situation, but if we get by Porto, that's going to add extra games to the back end of the season. And obviously, Champions League is what we all aspire to win. So it'll be interesting to see how Klopp prioritizes Champions League versus League uh, and the places and the points that uh, we need to get Champions League again next year. Now, it's a solid point. And complicating that is our upcoming fixture at the weekend. So we've got Southampton at St. Mary's. It'll be Virgil van Dyke's return to the boo boys and girls and everybody else not so happy with his agitating in two different <laughs> windows and showing up on Liverpool's front door, uh, Jan <laughs> one. So obviously Southampton's struggled with putting balls in the back of the net, uh, a lot of low point totals, but they also come in with a decent run of form. What do you, what are you thinking? Are you worried about this? I mean, my, my quick take is that Klopp always, tends to come back you know they'll make a statement usually after a you know unjust loss <laughs> they felt like they deserved all three points in this last one at Anfield so you might see some extra energy versus Southampton obviously obviously their season hasn't gone perfectly yeah I, I, the, the question needs to be is uh how many people can they boo at once because you've got Lover, <laughs> <laughs> you've got Lover and Milana Mane, uh, Virgil. I mean, this could just be uh, a boo from straight uh, start to finish. But no, I I think uh, I think Southampton's getting a foothold. You know, they're gonna they're gonna. I think they're gonna not be in the relegation fight. But I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that a places you know eleven through nineteen are within six points of one another. So any screw up could see you right back into a relegation fight. So Southampton are going to come at it. Uh, they're going to be up for the match. They always are against us, uh, especially with how many Southampton players we've taken off them over the years. Uh, the fans are going to be right up into it. So I think it's going to be a really tough match. 
<clears throat> St. Mary's is never an easy place to play. And, you know, I think we're going to get a game. If Virgil starts, he's going to get the booze. If Lovren starts, he's going to get the booze because he's got the booze every time we've played him. <laughs> um, you know, Virgil even talked about it. He's like, he's like, listen, if they want to boo me, there's nothing I can do about it. They're going to boo me. No. Um, the question, the question becomes is, are, is our quality going to show through? Are we going to take the the match to them? Are we going to come out like we did uh, in previous matches, uh, like at Huddersfield where we won three, nothing, where it was a routine three, nothing win. If that's, um, you know, if that's a thing uh, for Liverpool, but <clears throat> Southampton are a good side. Uh, Charlie Austin, I believe, loves a goal against us. Uh, they're going to come out firing, and it's going to be a tough match. I don't, I don't anticipate us blowing them off the park. I think it's going to be a, a scrappy game. Uh, the fans are going to be right up for it, like I said. So, all in all, I think you know we get the win, but I'm not thinking it's. I, I'm, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I mean, they took three points from Pardue's side at the Hawthorns this past weekend when we were drawing Spurs and Southampton was able to draw Spurs at home as well. Not so long ago. So yeah, I think it's going to be tougher than we think it will be going in, but I'm hoping that the energy from the perceived injustice the weekend will carry us through. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think Sala is just, I can't believe he has run a form you know, hasn't hit a hiccup yet. I mean, he's just been exquisite. I, I, I'll be interested to see how Monty reacts. Uh, he's been kind of our forgotten soldier and he was so good last year. I just want him to get back to that form in maybe Southampton away. He'll have a little expert inspiration since it's his old club. And if he can get back, you know, in the purple patch, uh, scoring goals. Uh, I think that will serve us in good stead as we head, uh, to the back half of the season. No question. It's been a confidence thing with him. And obviously so many of the balls have ended up at the capable feet of Salah, which is deposited in the back of the net, probably more than not probably <laughs> more than probably most no, period, more, more than, more than everybody except for Harry Kane. You got it. Who gets it by diving and getting pens at the last minute. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll look forward to the result at the weekend. Uh, thanks again, Jimmy and Brian, for joining us for another talk on podcast. We'll probably be after this uh, coming fixture versus Southampton. So watch for our next pod. Until next time, talk on. Talk on, talk on. Talk on, talk on. Talk on, brother.